the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Older Brother. That's The Older Brother, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with The Older Brother, today's Reaching Your Heart. The story of the Bible is the story of how our Father God has been challenged by one of His rebel children, and that in that challenge, somehow the whole universe has been sucked into a cosmic controversy where God Himself is on trial. For thousands of years, the adversary has been trying to convince the universe that God isn't fit to rule, and we know from inspired sources that the issue in this great controversy was whether or not the deity had sufficient capacity to exercise self-renouncing love. I mean, you ask yourself the question, how can a God who has everything really give anything? And that is the question that really defines whether or not God is himself a God of love who keeps his own law. And this challenge was not easy to answer because it looks like from a state of nature that an infinite being really can't give of himself. It took the cross to prove that accusation wrong. This challenge has produced a fracture in the cosmic family that has wounded the heart of our Father God at the deepest level. In the Bible, we find a God who has been challenged, a God who has been abused, a God who has been hurt. But it's more than God. It's a Father's heart that has been broken. And the devil's message is loud and clear for all to hear. You can go to his website, donotvoteforgod.com. He set something up like that on a universal level. And he was waiting for the universe to vote God out of office. The devoted heart can serve God only for so long before it must eventually come to understand that service is not the ultimate reason for knowing God. While we may serve God, that is not the ultimate purpose of our being. It is not why we were placed into the fabric of time and space. We were placed here to know God as a father, not just to serve God. And the plan of redemption is the story of two brothers at the dawn of time who made radically different choices. One left God and the other did not leave God. One went east of Eden and lost his way in a sinful world corrupted by a celestial servant turned traitor. And the other son stayed at home and served his father a lot harder to make amends for the shame of his younger brother's foolish choice. The prodigal son turned his back on his father and all that he offered him in the Garden of Eden. And the other son stayed at home and he tried to serve his father God all the more. He tried to make up for the pain that his younger brother had brought upon his father. But in the loss of his brother and the grief of his father's apparent failure to keep the younger son at home, the older brother almost lost the privilege of just being his father's son. There was a cosmic struggle to know God as father. And when Christ came to this earth, the universe itself was in a state where something didn't give. The devil's website, do not vote for God.com, 
was the option that would have thrown him off his throne. The story of the prodigal son at its deepest level is the story of the older brother who chose to stay home. And the real burden in the parable of the prodigal son is the son who stayed at home and tried to serve his father in the shadow of his younger brother's terrible choice. Take your Bibles, turn with me Luke 15, verse 11. Let's begin the story. The Bible says, And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them not many days later. The younger son gathered and he had and he took his journey into a far off country. So he got what was his and he went away. It's very clear here. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country and he began to be in want. Now verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took his journey into a far off country. And here's the phrase I left out. And there he squandered his property in loose living. Very clear picture here. He leaves his father. He leaves his value system. He spends what his father has given him. And when it's all over, there's a famine. There's a lack of food. And he is in a state of utter poverty. Now the first fact in the story is the truth of the father's fairness. Even though the younger son was only entitled to a third of his father's property at his death in ancient times, the father here divided the property between the two of them. The Greek says literally he divided the life between them. I mean, there was more than property here being given out. The inheritance was the father's very life. And the text indicates that when he gave the inheritance to his son, he gave his entire living to his son. It was over. The father had nothing more to give. The drama of the story centers around two brothers. The father treated fairly and equally. The older brother stayed at home while the younger brother left his father and his brother far behind. The younger brother took advantage of the father and his brother while the older brother did not. He simply was a good boy trying to do what was right and he was committed to his father. The story focuses on the goodness of the father and the struggle of the older brother. The old man could have refused his youngest son's request for riches, but instead he gave his share of his very life to him and he let him go knowing good and well what he would do with it. He could have banished his younger son from his presence with nothing, but instead he sent him away with plenty in his purse and an empty heart. And father watched him walk down the road that led to that distant land far away from home. In the eyes of the older brother, the father gave him too much and then he let him go. As the story develops, the younger son goes to a far-off land and squanders all that he has. Verse 14, it says he spent everything. Verse 15 says he joined himself to the citizens of that country. In other words, he not only turned his back on his father, he also turned his back on his father's country. That made this younger son a traitor, not just a prodigal, but a pure traitor to his father. He was guilty of espionage against his father and his father's homeland. I imagine the father one day got the notice in the mail that his fine son was the citizen of a different kind of king. It must have hurt his father very deeply to learn that his son had defected to the dark side. He cried bitterly for his boy as he appeared on CNN with a Darth Vader mask, acting like a fool, selling secrets to the enemy on WikiLeaks.org or something like that. And when all his father's riches were squandered, the citizens of his new country sent him into the fields to feed swine. When they had used him up, they threw him out to do the job that no one wanted. So what happened to the boy who ate and drank at the father's side? What happened to the boy who had it all and turned his back on his daddy's dainties, 
for this swine pit of another land. What happened to the boy who cared more about his belly than his birthright? That's the question. Look at verse 17. Here Jesus begins to provide the answer. But, and that word but means there's a transition from a horrible story, from a horrible choice to a new direction in life. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You will notice in the parable that the younger son does not say, he does not say, I have sinned against my brother and before you. Notice he does not say that. He says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. The prodigal son represents our fallen world in this context. You see, Jesus is using a parable to describe the cosmic struggle for evil in the universe. The prodigal son represents our fallen world, and the older brother in the parable represents the unfallen universe. The older brother represents the unfallen worlds that stayed loyal to God when Adam sinned against God. There are some here today, and there have been some in the Christian world who believe that the older brother is the Jewish nation. Now, while it's true that the Jewish nation is a precious, precious focus of God's redemptive history, it doesn't fit here. This view doesn't work in the parable at all, and it doesn't seem to fit Luke's thinking of the book. There are three reasons why the older brother must represent the heavenly universe. I'm going to go through them one at a time. Reason number one, in the parable, the older brother never left his father, but Israel left God again and again and again. Habitually, Israel was on the outs with God. The entire history of Israel is a history, when you read the Old Testament, of a nation that falls away from God and it falls deeper into apostasy until finally Jesus comes as the last faithful Israelite in the whole history of the nation. When you look in Luke 15, there are three parables that are very closely linked. Each of these parables focus on something that is lost and then it focuses on heaven's response to repentance or heaven's response to the object or person being found. In the lost sheep, turn with me to Luke 15, verse 7. Here we have a very clear statement. The shepherd goes out, he finds the one sheep that's lost, and when it's over, here's how it's all summed up. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, when you look at that verse, where does the joy come from at the end of this parable? Does it come from the earth or from heaven? So there's joy in heaven. Move to the next parable, the lost coin, Luke 15, verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, where does the joy come from in verse 10? Does it come from earth or from heaven? The angels here are pictured rejoicing at the return of a sinner. Now, the lost son, Luke 15, verse 18, the story of the prodigal son. And the son says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In all three parables, there is a focus on heaven's response to true repentance. In the first parable, the shepherd leaves the sheep bend to find the lost sheep. The parable of the lost son, the father leaves his home to find the son on the way. It's very clear here that heaven is interacting with the outcome of these parables. The prodigal son is like the lost sheep in so many ways. He must be found outside the house. Now, the figure of lost sheep is often used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. And Jesus uses it in the same way in Luke 15. 
Turn with me to Matthew 10. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. These 12, Jesus sent out charging them. Now Jesus is speaking. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And turn with me to Matthew 15, 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I mean, the metaphor here is very clear. Jesus likens Israel to the lost sheep. And so it would become impossible to link Israel to the older son in the parable. To describe Israel as the older brother who stayed at home is factually incorrect in light of the history of Israel as a nation. When we start reading the book of Genesis and we move to the book of Exodus, we see the development of the nations historically. The 70 nations of the earth appear in Genesis 10 rather early. We find the solidification of the global world system there shortly after the flood. Seventy nations. Hundreds of years later in Exodus 19, Israel appears in the book of Exodus and God establishes Israel as a nation. Israel is not the older brother in relationship to the nations of the world. It just simply doesn't make any sense. Now, In the Bible, Israel is a son of God that is younger than the nations of the world that left God centuries before. And sure, God loves Israel, but it doesn't fit to make Israel the older brother in the parable. In fact, both groups, both the nations of the world and Israel, are technically rebels against God in their historical experience. In the parable, the older brother is loyal while the younger brother rebelled and left home. In the Bible, neither Israel nor the rebellious nations of the world were faithful to God. I mean, they just simply apostatized at different times, but none of them were true to God. Hosea 11, 1 and 2, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning incense to idols. Now look at the nations. Deuteronomy 4, 19. The Bible is very clear that all the nations of the earth gave themselves over to demonic control and God gave it to them as their inheritance. Deuteronomy 4.19 And beware, God speaks, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and worship them and serve them. Can you think of a story when the nations of the earth were trying to build a tower that would reach into the heavens? It's obviously the story of the Tower of Babel. And we have some insight here that they weren't doing this so they could build a tower high enough to avoid a flood. They were trying to control cosmic powers and they wanted the powers of the heavens to guide them. And in so doing, they were turning their back on God. It says, lest you be drawn away and worship them and serve them, things which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Now the word allotted here is translated In many translations, he has given as their inheritance that they should worship the host of heaven. The Hebrew indicates that God handed the nations over to worship demonic powers. The King James Version says God divided it for them. Now that's the same expression that is used in the parable of the prodigal son. The father divided the inheritance in the Greek. It says he divided it and he gave it to his sons. The younger brother is more than just one nation here. It represents all the nations of the world. In the genealogy of Luke, in Luke 3.38, I want you to notice something. When Luke is describing the genealogy going all the way back to Adam, it ends by saying this. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and then what's the next expression? The son of God. See, Adam was not just a man. He was the son of God. He was God's child. In the Gospel of Luke, God is a father and Adam was his son. 
Adam left God and that makes him a prodigal son and the father of a prodigal world. In Job 1, the sons of God gathered in heaven and Lucifer came in place of Adam to represent our world. Now, Bible scholars tell us that if you want to find the oldest book of the Old Testament, it's probably the book of Job. It describes a faith struggle outside of the context of ancient Israel. And we find here perhaps one of the clearest statements of a cosmic controversy in all the Bible. We find Satan gathering before God's throne, but there are other representatives from all over the universe, and they are called the sons of God. And in verse 6, it just makes the statement, as a matter of fact, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. It's very clear here that Satan was considered one of these sons of God. Adam was called a son of God in the genealogy of Luke 3.38. And so you connect the dots. Why isn't Adam up there? And the devil says, I have been throughout the earth moving this way and that. I own it, is what he's saying. And so we find that the devil has usurped Adam's place. That he has taken the rightful place of Adam as one of God's sons in the heavenly council. In Luke 4, 6, the devil told Christ in the wilderness that the entire world had been delivered to him and he would give it to whomever he wanted to. And Christ did not contest the fact that he was, in fact, the prince of this world. Job 38, 4 and 7. God is speaking. Look at verse 4. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now look at verse 7. It says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Follow the logic with me. If Adam is a son of God and the morning stars are also sons of God and they were present when the world was made, when it was created, before Adam was made, then Adam has to be the younger brother to the older sons of God who are the morning stars. Does that sound logic? It is. Adam was not the older brother. He was the younger brother. And he left God and he took this planet out of God's realm, out of his house. Because Jesus was God from all eternity, Christ was the oldest brother in the midst of all the other sons of God. In the Bible, Jesus has a dual nature. He is both the bright and morning star and the brother of the human race. The book of Revelation ends with this magnificent declaration. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you with the testimony for the churches. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm human, but I'm human through the line of David. And then he says, I am also the bright morning star. Christ has a dual nature. He was both the oldest brother, and he is also connected to the line of the younger brother. I said there are three reasons why the older brother must represent the heavenly universe. Reason number one has been given. The older brother never left his father, but Israel left God again and again and again. Reason number two is this. The figure of a far-off country is used as a literary device in Luke to represent the great divide that exists between heaven and earth. Let me illustrate this. Turn with me to Luke 15. We'll look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. Now take your Bibles and turn to Luke 19.11, and notice how this expression is used again in another parable. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Verse 12. 
He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. And 13, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 pounds and said to them, trade with these till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent an embassy after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. The far country in the second parable clearly represents heaven. The nobleman is Jesus Christ, and at his ascension, he goes into a far-off country to receive his kingdom and then return. And of course, the return is the second coming of Christ. By juxtaposition from the perspective of heaven, the earth has to be a far-off country too, just as heaven is a far-off country to us. And so the citizens of the far country in the story of the prodigal son are not like the father. They don't represent his value system. They represent a country at odds with him. And the citizens in the parable of the nobleman are also at odds with the nobleman. They hate him and they try to undermine his government. So there's a parallel here. In the parable of the prodigal, the younger son joins himself to a citizen of a far-off country. In other words, he has committed treason. He has left the heavenly country that is the father's house for a distant land. Reason number three, the prodigal son substitutes the word heaven in place of his brother. I mean, contextually, he sinned against his father and his brother, and yet he doesn't say that. The sin of the prodigal son is really a sin against his father and his brother. But he says in verse 18, I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Notice that he says nothing about his brother. He only mentions heaven. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, heaven has been offended by the sin of the younger brother. Angels are very active in the Gospel because of the offense of Adam. Let me illustrate this. Turn to Luke 12, verses 8 and 9. Because of what Adam has done, the heavenly universe has been wounded, and the angels will be witnesses in the future judgment to the outcome of that judgment. Luke 12, verse 8. And I will tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So it's very clear here the angels are witnesses to the outcome of the judgment. Revelation 3, 5. He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now when you read Daniel 7, that great chapter that describes the four great world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, a lion, followed by a bear, then a leopard, and then the ten-horned beast of Rome. And it transitions to a little horn that rules in the Middle Ages. And then we have a judgment at the end of the Middle Ages in which dominion is taken away from this church-state system of the Middle Ages. And we have Jesus in verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and one came before the Ancient of Days, a son of man, and was presented before him. It's clear in Daniel 7 that there are millions of angelic hosts surrounding the throne as he approaches the Ancient of Days. And in the context, Christ asks for his kingdom from his Father in that heavenly judgment. It's very clear the angels are part of the process of this pre-advent celestial judgment. Why? They are part of the process because they're the older brother. You see, we have sinned not just against God. We have sinned against the universe and this planet. And the older brother is part of the fix that God engineers to bring the family back together again. So the angels are witnesses in the heavenly judgment. The prodigal son is moved to repentance because he remembers the truth about his father. The prodigal son realized that servants have food in the house of the father. 
better to be a doorkeeper in dad's house than to scrape the earth for food in a swine pit in a far off country. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement. And it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe. Events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to His second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7-888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled, God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.